We're going to continue our series uh, in the book of Psalms. We are walking through Psalms for the summer. So each week in the summer, we're just picking a different psalm and walking through that. Um, So I'm excited about that. Uh, It's not just myself that will be teaching. Um, Next week, Elder Mark will be teaching. Um, The following week, we're having a guest speaker come in from Orlando. And so we're excited about just this, this march through the book of Psalms. And as we said before, there are various Psalms. There are Psalms of praise and Psalms of wisdoms and Psalms of lament and Psalms of thanksgiving and royal Psalms that gives us a look to Jesus, uh, even written in the book of Psalms. Amen? Today we're going to look at a Psalm of lament. And when I think about Psalms, uh, the, the thought that comes to mind for me is my grandmother. Her name was Velda. And Velda uh, loved the scripture. She loved the scripture. And as she aged, her sight would wane. She couldn't see like she used to see. So as we would spend a lot of our summers at her house, she would tell us uh, to go grab the Bible. And undoubtedly, the place she wanted us to go to was the Psalms. And she would get the Psalm and she would say, Rodney, read the Psalm. And I'll begin to read the Psalm. And as I'm reading it, she'll finish it off the dome. She had knitted these psalms in her heart. And so it reminds me of my time with my grandmother, so many various psalms that she would just allow me to read and then quote off the dome. See, psalms is a book for, 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 for saints that meet God in the day-to-day reality of where we live. We study, read, depend on a very old book. But as you look at the Psalms, this old scriptures come to alive in our hearts for where we are today. Amen? So we've been saying the book of Psalms is where a real God meets meets real people right where they are. And today we look at another powerful, familiar Psalm, Psalms 27. Hear the reading of God's word. And I'm reading it in the King James Version. All right, it's me and King Jimmy today. ESV and NIV can go on vacation for a bit. I'm going old school today because I need to hear it the way I learned it. The Lord is my light and my son. I'm just joking. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Or whom should I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies, and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war shall rise against me, and this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that one thing will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. 
in the secrets of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. I want to talk this morning about safe and satisfied. Three points. Scared. One thing and a reason to sing. Let's pray and we'll dive in. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, as we'll learn, your word is not just ink on, a, on pages. Your word is our necessary food. Your word, Lord, sustains us when life fails us. When folks we counted on, we can't find, we can still find your word. And in your word, find life. So, Father, we pray, move every distraction from amongst your people so that they and I may receive the engrafted word of God that is able to save our souls. Somebody needs you this morning. Oh, somebody's hungry this morning. Somebody thirsty this morning. Someone came with an itch that only you can scratch. So use your vessel. Stand in me, think through me, speak through me, not mere words of man, but a rhema word for your people. God, would you do that so that you would be glorified? We give you all the praise and honor for all that you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember being a kid, man, growing up in the neighborhood, one of the worst things you can say to a kid is call them scary. Or you scared, or you, you afraid. That's, that's, that's fighting words, man. Ain't nobody scared of you. If you would have caught me uh, 15, 25 years ago, <laughs> I'll be saying something like that. I wish you would put your hand. Ain't nobody scared of you. When David starts talking about fear, he ain't talking about that kind of fear. Well, who is David? David is the king of Israel. He is a little boy that was called out by God to be a king at a young age. He was a young man called out by God to be the king of Israel. And it's this David that knows something about what it means to be afraid. You see, when David grew up, he was an outcast. He was a nobody. He was despised by his father and his brothers. He was, he was condemned to just take care of those few little sheep. The Bible says there was a day when the bear came to come eat up David's sheep. And, and David fought off the bear. You see, David knows what it's like to deal with fear. The Bible says there was one day a lion came to eat up his sheep, and David fought off the lion. David knows what it is to deal with fear. 
Well, one day there'll be this giant, this warrior of a man named Goliath and David. While all of Israel is trembling, David moves with boldness and confidence to fight this Goliath in the name of his Lord. In David's life, his king, or the king that would precede David, was so jealous of him, he tried to murder him on various occasions. And David has to live with the tension of being around your enemy, sleeping with one eye closed, because you don't know where the next attack is coming from. You see, David can relate to fear. And what about you this morning? Maybe you didn't float in here on some cloud with everything going well in your life. Maybe you didn't come here with the, with, with, with the best mindset because there's some turbulence in your family. There's some strife at the job. There's some challenge in your personhood. There's, there's issues going on with you. Maybe you don't come here this morning in the best of situations. And the idea is sometimes that because we're in the church, we're okay. No, you can be in the church this morning listening to preaching and not be okay. David knows what that is. So you may be going through something right now that no one else is privy to but you. Maybe you feel attacked. Maybe you feel like it works out for everyone else except me. You see, this is why this is a psalm of lament. I, 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 love, I love the word of God. There, the, in, in, in other words, in this big book of psalms, there are certain psalms that are psalms of lament. There are psalms where they go, the, the writer's going to write it like an IS is. They not sugarcoat nothing. They ain't hyping nothing up. David would say sometimes, Lord, kill all of my enemies in Jesus' name. He would say in other places, my soul is grievous and, and vexed. He, he would say, my bones are wasting away. David is familiar with the different ups and downs we go through in life. And sometimes when we think of King David, we have this aloof thought of him. But in Psalms of Lament, he tells you how he really feels. And I'm glad we don't serve a God that you got to dress everything up to, to come to him. You can come talk to him like it I S is. So David learned how to be around people that hated him and still function. Some of you want to say, well, that sounds like Monday morning. Look what David says as he starts this, as he begins to talk about fear. Look what David says. David says, you are my light and my salvation. That's good news already. He says, Lord, you are the strength of my life. What is David saying? He's saying, God, power preserves me through all my trouble. I remember being in Mozambique, Africa. We were taking a, a literally a 48-hour road trip from South Africa to Mozambique. And we stopped off one night. It was late in the night, and we stopped off. The driver had to stretch. I'm like, bruh, don't you stop this car. You got to keep on going. 
We ain't on no paved roads now. We on dusty roads. We, we riding and it's bumpy. It's, I'm like, don't stop the car. I don't know what's out there. Keep on going. He says, I got to stretch. So he gets out the car. And Pastor Darrell, who was in that picture that day he was talking about, he gets out the car. So me and Kate's in the back. And we're like, well, well, well let's, let's see how they do first. Let's stay here and <laughs> see how they do. And then, then Pastor Darrell calls me. He says, Rodney, come on. You, you need to see this. I'm like, see what? dark out there. And so we get out the car, my wife and I, and, and we look up and we see the stars piercing through the darkness. Now, I had never in my whole life seen stars like that. But there's stars like that in South Florida. We just can't see them. Why? Because of something called light pollution. You see, light pollution, there's so much light you can't get dark enough to see the light that you want to see. And so we stepped out, and it felt like I was in outer darkness all around me, like I could not see the speaker where I was standing. But when you look up, you can see the light piercing through the darkness. And this is what David says. He says, Lord, you are my light. Sometimes I don't know where I am. I don't know where danger lies. I don't know where safety lies. I don't know where the next thing is coming from. I don't know what they're trying to take away from me. But Lord, you are my light and you pierce through my darkness. You pierce through what I can't see. You see, light does a couple of things. One of the things it does is it exposes the enemy. You see, this is why your relationship with God is ultimately critical because some of us make decisions haphazardly, not even consulting God, and you're making wrong decisions because you haven't seen God as the, your light that pierced through darkness. So you're easily deceived. You co-sign on things you should have never co-signed on. You sign up for stuff you should have never signed on to. David says, Lord... You illuminate my life. In other words, I set my life to the cadence of your light. And when I see something in your light that you say is wrong, I line up with you because you're right, because you're my light. Light does not just expose dangers. It illuminates righteousness. You see, now I know where to go, how to talk, how to walk, because the God of heaven is my light. He's not just my light, he's my salvation. In other words, his salvation is David understanding that God on numerous occasions over and over again has saved David. I remember being young and not having a good view of Scripture. You know, I had a view of Scripture that as DeAndre was praying this morning, I had this view of Scripture that says, you know, you got to do, you got to do, you got to do, and God will accept you. But you got to do, and you got to do, and you got to do, and then God will accept you. But the truth of the gospel is you can't do, God has done, and faith in Christ is what makes you accepted before God. Now you do as a result of what was done, not to be accepted by what you did. Did y'all catch that? So I would look at a guy like David, and I'd be like, Lord, make me like David. Whew. Yeah, I was in the background, and they didn't see me, but Lord, speed me up and put me up at the front. Make me like David. If there's a Goliath in my life, I want to fight him. Lord, make me like David. 
This book ain't about no David. This book is about Jesus. But if I don't have that right concept, then I make David a hero when David should have never been a hero. And the same thing we do with the scriptures, same thing we do with people in our lives. We put people on too high of a pedestal. And then when they disappoint you, your life can crumble because they were never made to be up there. The place, the person that should hold that place in your life is Christ. Because he doesn't fail. Amen. He's, he's my salvation. You see, David understand, yeah, it was me against Goliath, but it wasn't me. I was going in the strength of my Lord. Yeah, I fought the bear. If you looked on the outside, it was me and the bear, and I won. But David will tell you, it wasn't just me. There was somebody else in the fight that you couldn't see. And I know in my life who gets the credit when I'm in a fight. It's not by my strength or by my power, but it's by his spirit. And you got to know when you're in trouble, it's not just you fighting. At work where the drama is, wherever the drama is in your life, you ain't fighting by yourself. Somebody else is fighting in the fight with you. And David understands the Lord is my light and he's my salvation. Then he says, so whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. ESV would say, He's my stronghold. He's my fortress. He's my safe place. He's my refuge. He's my hiding place. He's my place I can go to where nobody else can get to me. David understood how to be in a terrible situation and still have safety and be satisfied. So David says, when he looks at these three things, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. Then whom shall I fear? And some of us will nod real quick. Yep, you ain't got to be afraid. Because God is your light. God is your salvation. God is the strength of your life. And you are absolutely right. But some of us know life is complicated. You ever heard a message, and the message sounds so good, and you're like, yes! That's right. Say it. And you get home, you're like, how am I going to apply this? Life is real. This is a struggle. You, 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 ever, been through, you ever heard something like that? You, you, you knew the preacher was right. But how do, I, how do I apply it? You see, some of us, when we think of fear, we think of things like phobias. Snakes and spiders and tarantulas. Or fighting someone or needing someone, or you think of stuff like losing jobs and all those fears are real, or declining health from a doctor report. You know, one doctor report can paralyze you in fear. You have a fear of retirement. I think there's some other inward fears that we don't talk about enough, stuff like the fear of man, the fear of people-pleasing, and some of you all will shoot me down quick. I ain't no people pleaser. I don't care what nobody think about me. I am who I am. Take it high. I, you know, I give it. That, that, that's me. You don't like it too bad. Sounds great. But let me ask you a couple questions. Do you have a, pro- do you have a problem over committing? Do you have trouble saying no to anyone? Maybe that's a fear of man. Do you suffer from being trapped by the praises of other people? 
because you can never live up to their expectations? Is being criticized a burden for you? And is the weight of people's praise too heavy for you? If I'm being honest, that's something that I'll struggle with. You know, if you kind of want to... Sometimes people's praises are just as heavy as people's criticisms. Because the expectation is, I got to do that again. Husbands, you know what I'm talking about. You have that really good day where you cook dinner and wash dishes and take out the trash. Your wife comes up to you, you're the best husband ever. That was amazing. I love you. You like, thank you, but then you know what time it is. Brother, that's pressure. <laughs> now tomorrow, you got a challenge. <laughs> Praise can be just as trapping as criticism. Or how about this? Do you get embarrassed often? Now we all do silly things and we all laugh at ourselves, but if you're constantly embarrassed by little things you do or your family does, then it may be that you are ruled by other people's opinions. Do you suffer from low self-esteem? Because low self-esteem is often rooted in pride. You see, we'll use other people's opinion to build up our identity and our sense of well-being. This fear of man goes deeper than we think. Kevin DeYoung says it this way, there is no sin so prevalent, so insidious, and so deep as the sin of fearing people more than we fear God. Truth be told, we can be more prone to letting people down than letting God down. This is why 365 times in the Bible, God says, do not fear. He gives you one time for every day of your life because he knows how insidious fear is. Sometimes fear, Rodney, is not just a feeling something happening in me. Sometimes fear is real. Yesterday I was having a conversation, or, or Friday I was having a conversation with, a, um, with, with, with my neighbor. And we got to talking, and, and we got to talking about God, and he says, one of the challenges I have, I just try to figure out what it means to be a Christian. One of the challenges I've had is, Rodney, I had some, ha- I had some horrible things happen to me. Well, what happened? He's in the construction business. He says, I've, I've, had, um, I've, I've been outbidded on some jobs by people that I thought were friends, and they came behind me, not outbidded, and they underbid me. I have, I have clients, Rodney, that I've done work for. I've done really, really good work, and they refuse to pay me. I had people that have stolen other jobs from me. And, and Rodney, when I look at them, they're doing well. They're driving a nice car. They're living in a nice house. And what about me, Rodney? See, these people, they, 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 they mean me no good. My neighbor will call them enemies for sure. What do I do with people that aren't for me? Now, I don't preach often on this. I I. I I struggle with the concept of haters because Jesus tells us to love our enemies. But we also have to acknowledge sometimes there are people out there that don't mean you no good. 
there are people that would rejoice at your demise. This is what verse 2 says. You could feel David on this. If this is you, you feel David when he says, When the wicked, even my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh. Now, somebody, now that's the enemy. If you're trying to eat my arm, you are my enemy. Verse 3, though a host should camp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise against me, and this will I be confident. You see, some of us, we, we experience this stuff from our enemies, but if truth be told, ain't nobody, maybe, they might, I don't know every situation, but I don't know if this week somebody literally tried to kill you. Maybe, again, I don't know every situation, but I don't, I don't think they may have tried to kill you. I don't think some of you had a circle of people around your house trying to get in and break in and, and, and destroy you. I don't think we had this morning war rising up against us this week. So if David can say with confidence that the Lord is with him so he doesn't need to fear, then we should learn to trust Jesus too. Amen? So, Rodney, what do I do when I encounter this fear of man or this fear of something happening to my body or this fear of losing this person or this fear of, of, of not getting married or this fear of my finances being ruined? What do I do when I'm struggling with this fear? Focus on who God is. Mimi talked about that as she was singing. She started talking about who the Lord is. Notice in this verse how many times you see the word my and I. Keep that slide up, please. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Look at these personal pronouns. The Lord is the strength of my life and whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp around me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. David is trying to say, this is David's personal Savior. Now, we do need to highlight the fact that God is communal. We need to highlight the fact that God is just not your Savior. He's, he's the Savior of the church. He's the Savior of the world. We, we do need to highlight that, but th in a time of trouble, you don't need to know about your mama God or Pastor Rodney God. You better have a personal relationship with your God. He better be your savior. He better be your friend. He better be your confidant. He better be your source of strength. He better be the person that leads you beside still waters. He better be your shepherd. Because you can't live this in advance. You can't get in trouble and then try to muster it up. Oh, Lord, I need you now. Let me, let me muster up all I missed. You done missed 300 days of devotional time, and now you're trying to muster him up in a moment of crisis. It don't work that way. Now, he's gracious. So gracious. He'll come, and he saves but wouldn't it have been nice if you would have found him 300 days ago to be your light? If you would have found him 300 days ago to be your salvation? 
if you would have found him 300 days ago to be the strength of your life, maybe you wouldn't even look at the crisis the way you look at it. Maybe you wouldn't be in the crisis. If you've learned to trust, David says, this is personal. So he offers this three-piece meal, light, salvation, strength, so that we can live thereby. One of the things David is doing, he's setting up this pattern of God's faithfulness to us. And you know this pattern all too well. I remember when I was in college and it was my first year and I had all of this debt at the end of my first year. And I was thinking, Lord, how are you going to pay off this balance so I can start my sophomore year? And somehow, some way, God came through. I remember when it was time to pay for the wedding and, 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 and we got that final bill on how much that wedding was going to be. And we almost fainted at the amount of it. And I'm like, Lord, how are you going to pull this off? Who's going to come through? Somehow, some way, it got done. I remember when we needed down payment to purchase our house. And I was thinking, Lord, how are you going to work this thing out? Lord, I need this amount. Somehow, some way, it got done. When my children have to pay costs for the summer to go to camp and be in camp and out the house, somehow, some way, it got done. Don't you understand it's been a pattern throughout all your life? Don't you understand that God has been faithful to you all throughout your life? This crisis you're in ain't new. You've seen this before. You've seen God over and over again come through for you. You've seen God over and over again make ways for you. And if he did it before, here's what David ultimately is saying. When I look at my enemies and I look at God, who are you again? See, it doesn't make me look at God with a critical eye. It makes me look at my enemies with a critical eye. When the challenge come against me, if I'm trusting in God, it makes me look critical at the challenge, not at the faithfulness of my God, because I know he's faithful. I know he's faithful. So how did David get there, Rodney? You're talking good. How did he get there? Because that ain't me. When that bill come, I'm looking at God. I'm like, God... When she start acting up, he start acting up. I'm like, Lord, the woman you gave me, the man you gave me. Look how David got there. The Bible says, one thing have I desired of the Lord. One, one thing. One thing that I've desired of the Lord, and this will I seek after, that I may dwell in his house forever. You see, many of our issues when we're going through trouble, many of our issues when we're going through attack, many of our issues when we go through challenge is a question of priority. One thing, have I desired, wait, desired? You see, the question is, how did David desire that? You see, 
the Bible says God gives us the will and desire to do. In other words, the desire for David to chase God the way he did came from God. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart, but, but, but don't highlight David too much because that man that's after his heart, where did the after come from? The after came from God. So there is no place for David to boast. So when he talks about this, my, my one desire is to be in the house of the Lord, where did he get that desire from? God gave it. So how comes David is chasing it and other people are sitting down? How comes David is longing and thirsting after this righteousness and other people are laid out somewhere? It's because David, watch this, submits to God's desire. You see, a whole lot of people got desire. A whole lot of people got desire. Well, well, I was planning to, well, well, well I meant to, well, one, one day, desire. You know, I really need to live better than this, Desire. You know, I need to stop doing this. This is a shame. I'm too old for this. Desire. It's not just desire. God's given desire. He's, he's dashing out desire. He's, he's given desire to us. There's something in the human heart that longs for him. That's desire. But do you submit to the desire? Do you discipline yourself to come under that desire? This, this is that other side of grace. See, grace is free. Grace is given by God. You can't earn it or deserve it, but the people that have it discipline themselves to live by grace. You can't teach desire. I wish I could. Ooh, if I could teach desire, if I had that anointing. I wish I could lay hands on folks and say, ooh, desire, oh, there it is. <laughs> He's just... Watch this. We can't design a Sunday morning gathering that would create desire. You see, desire is what the Lord gives, and you have to submit and come under that desire. So David says, I want to be in the Lord's house. This is, this is not a checkbox for David. This is not, oh, oh, did Sunday. Good. Not a checkbox. David says, my one desire is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. David wants to be in the Lord's house. Have you ever had a hard week and you just made your way to the house of the Lord? You just, you, you gritted your teeth and got here and, 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 and you had to struggle to get. Have you ever had that kind of week? But once you got in the house. And you got amongst the people of God and you heard the songs of God and you heard preach the word of God and you rub shoulders with the people of God. Don't you know that just be ye in the house is what you need? David says, the one thing that I desire, let's get this straight out the gate, is to be in the house of the Lord. Here's my fear. We got a generation of people that don't care if they're in the house of the Lord. David says, I got to be in this house. I got to, why do I need to be in the house of the Lord? I need to inquire 
in his temple. In other words, I got some questions about my life that are not going to be answered unless I'm around the people of God. And when I get there, I want to gaze at his beauty. I want to I want to get, now gazing is a unique word. It, it doesn't mean, gaze doesn't mean I look and I turn away. Okay, I'm done. Sunday over. Ooh. What are we going to eat? Ooh. Let me get ready for my new. No, gaze mean I'm looking and I'm focused on the God of that house. And I'm looking at his beauty. This word beauty means favor. My wife and I, we recently celebrated 15 years of marriage. Yeah, praise God, praise God. And um, we, we took a little, you know, little getaway, and we over dinner, you know, just um, looking over the intercoastal and stuff, you know, eating some good food and whatnot. And, you know, I'm, uh, I'm looking at her, and I said, girl! <laughs> now, listen, I met my wife when she was 17 years old. 17. We, we've been together for a while. We've got a couple mango seasons under our belt. Uh, and so I met her when she was 17 years old. And she was bad when she was 17 years old. She would make you look twice when she was 17 years old. She's beautiful. She's beautiful now. She's beautiful then. She was beautiful at 17 years old. But I said as I looked at her after 15 years of marriage, after planting the church, after four nice-sized head children, after all of this <laughs> stuff, not just the good stuff, the bad stuff, when we lost stuff, when we lost cars and we lost houses and we went through pain and we were frustrated and angry and struggled with God. When we've been through, not, not, not just the good story, because that, that's good to tell, but you got to tell that other piece too. When we fought like cats and dogs, you got to tell the other piece too. Tell the whole story. When I look at the totality of our time together, I looked at her and I said, Girl, you surely is beautiful. And then when this, you know, this. <laughs> I don't even know the popular women that are beautiful anymore. Let's just go with Beyonce. I guess that's a safe, that's a safe case study to go with. This is not, not just Beyonce beautiful. <laughs> you know, I don't know all the new people. I don't know who's all, you know, anyway. But it was something else. That you can be trusted. That I can depend on you. That I know your heart. You see, some of y'all are hearing this. Oh. Uh, some, some of y'all husbands, I'm getting y'all in trouble this week. Did you see how he was talking? No, 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 don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Listen, here's what I'm trying to say. When you got skin in the game, you look at them a different way. David says, Lord, I want to behold your beauty. Look at all we've been through. You saw me against Goliath, but, but you saw me with Bathsheba. You, you, you saw me when I was victorious over the Philistines, and you saw me when I was running in terror because my son was chasing me out of my own kingdom. You see the good, and you see the bad, and you love me the same? I'll gaze at that all day. Not just on Sunday, I'll be shopping in the week and I'll start gazing and getting lost as I think about your beauty. I'll be in a classroom, I'll be in a cubicle somewhere, but when I start thinking about all the Lord has done for me, I'll gaze on your beauty. Because you've been good. You see, that kind of reaction leads us into our third and final point. It leads us to sing. 
You see, when we look at how good he's been, David then says, now I will offer stuff in your temple. David says, take my time, take my talent, take my treasure, take whatever I have, because when I think about how good you've been to me, I'll freely serve. You ain't got to twist my arm to serve you. You don't have to convince me to lift up my hands in worship. I'm already convinced of who you are because I'm gazing at your beauty, and your beauty is better than life. That's what I want, Lord. You want to talk about David? David had king. He, he was a king. He had gold. He had silver. He had anything you could possibly imagine. And here's what he pens. This one thing that I desire of the Lord, and that's what I'm going to chase. I want to be in your house. I want to be gazing at your beauty, and I want to offer sacrifices of worship to your name because you're worthy to be praised. One of the most beautiful things I'll see, and I, maybe five more minutes I'll be done. I know I'm long-winded today. Y'all pray for me. Uh, one, of the, one of the beautiful things I love seeing in church is when men lift their hands. Here's why. Women, you know how uncomfortable it is for a grown man to lift his hands? In a place where he don't, you know, it's other men around. Are you going to do this? <laughs> I love when, when women are, are, are worshiping and expressing their joy to the Lord for all that he's done. You know how amazing that is? In the ears of our God, God is faithful. And he's worthy of our praise. The last thing I'm done. You know, the challenge with David and his enemies, God delivered David. But do you know David died still having enemies? So much so that he had to tell his son, to finish off some of the enemies that he left? Beloved, David ain't a hero. You see, there's one that comes from David that we need to look to. His name is Jesus. If we go back and look at verse 1, Jesus is the one that won't be ruled by fear, but he would live his life in the strength of God. For he is God in the flesh. Jesus is the one who when the wicked and the enemy and the foes come to eat up his flesh, they do that. They eat up his flesh on the cross. And he does not retaliate in anger. He lays down his life for us. You see, it's Jesus that would really be surrounded by soldiers. It's Jesus that would really have our war break out against him. And he would stand undefeated and victorious as our king. When, when David talks about the Lord takes me as his pavilion and he hides me and he puts me upon a rock, there's a man that would really be put upon a rock called Calvary and die the death that we should have died. 
You see, this, this psalm is not pointing us to worship the, the beauty of David. It's pointing us to worship the beauty of Jesus and how he overcomes all of our enemies, namely sin, death, and the grave. This is why in 1 Corinthians 15 it says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is good news because God triumphs over us and keeps us safe and secure. Amen? Everyone standing. I'm through. I'm through. Some of you, the Holy Spirit, as I'm preaching, is illuminating certain fears that are in your heart and on your mind that have taken victory and control over your life. I'm going to challenge you this week to write those things down, whatever they are. And as you're writing those things down, right next to them, point to how God triumphs over that particular fear. It says the fear of death. I'm just right now, I'm, I'm paralyzed. This, this has nothing to do with age. You'll be surprised how young people are afraid of dying. So I mean, write down on one side, I'm struggling with the fear of death. You can write down on the other side, but Jesus Christ has conquered the grave. What does that mean? Death doesn't have the final say. Not sitting in fear of when death comes, if death comes, God has already defeated. Whatever the sin is, list that sin. Let me say, I'm struggling. Whatever I'm struggling with, hatred, lust, lying, cheating. And then on the other side, write how the cross has paid for the sin of whatever that is. And because Jesus has paid the debts for my sin, I don't need to live in fear. I don't need to live in shame. I don't need to live in guilt. He's already covered it. He's already paid. Maybe you made a blunder in your life that you think this mistake is the, is the impetus for the rest of your life. Jesus wants you to know this morning, he died for that sin too. He's giving you the desire towards righteousness. Now submit to that desire and follow him. Prayer team, I'm going to ask that you would please come.